Good morning, everybody. Welcome again to Lighthouse Bible Church. Happy almost New Year. Hope you all, I trust you all had a great Christmas and um, looking forward to the new year and the new decade, right? It's not just the new year, so see what the Lord has in store for us. All right, let's begin by entering into prayer together. Our Heavenly Father, we want to thank you, first of all, and always, for your Son, our Lord Jesus Christ. We thank you, Father, that he is the God-man, that he did go to the cross and die for our sins, and you raised him from the dead on the third day, so that whoever believes in him, his death and resurrection, will never perish but have eternal life. Father, we also thank you for all the blessings that you've provided us, all the grace that you've provided for us. We thank you, Father, even for the difficult things and difficult times, because we know, as Romans 5 teaches us, that that builds character and that leads to hope. So we ask this morning also, Father, that we not forget the persecuted church around the world for whom the Christmas holiday could be a time of persecution. We thank you, Father, that you have given them what they need in terms of the, the understanding, the knowledge, the hope. We ask all of this in the name of Jesus Christ, our Lord, by the power of the Holy Spirit, we pray. Amen. That song, I Saw the Light, is a salvation experience, which means that's, that's how a lot of people see things when they're born again, like no sorrow in sight. Well, of course, we know differently that the point a lot of times is to deal with your sorrows according to God's words. So I want to point that out so you don't get the wrong idea. They say, Wait a minute, I, I have sorrow, I guess I'm not a Christian, you know, so it's a good song. By the way, that was written by Hank Williams, for those of you that, Hank Williams, yep, the country singer. The interesting story about that. Maybe I'll tell it sometime. Probably not. <laughs> Listen, Jack is passing out a, a table that we're going to use today. And I have to tell you that today is going to be a lot like our Thursday evening Bible studies. So you get a taste of that. I encourage everybody to come on Thursday evenings. You'll get information there that I'm not teaching on here. We did, as you remember last year and a little bit into this year, I think, we had that series, great series on the end times. Um, and that, that answers a lot of questions for a lot of people. Um, and we went into it in detail. It's 70 different classes on Bible studies on that. It's on the web if you want to see the materials. Right now, I'm looking at another great subject, the subject of eternal security. That believers in Christ are secure in their salvation for all of eternity. So that's where we're on now, another important doctrine that everybody needs to understand. I, I believe everybody... Uh, it's, a, almost, it's almost a fundamental teaching, I believe. I think that after somebody understands the gospel, understands who Christ is, I think right after that, eternal security, so that, they, they, that they're secure on a sure, secure foundation for everything else that they're going to learn. In any event, um, our subject today is, uh, comes out of chapter 13 of 1 Corinthians, and we're going to look at um, a question that a lot of people have. I've been asked this question I would say dozens of times, and that is whether these spiritual gifts that we see in chapter 12 in particular, um, and in chapter 13 that he points out as three of them, they ask, well, are those still in operation today? A lot of people say yes. Okay. We're going to look through that based on the Word of God and to see what we can conclude from God's Word about that question for the three Spiritual gifts that are the subject in chapter 13. So what, that's what we're headed to this morning. Let's read. Let's begin. Oh no, let's begin by talking about missionary organization. I'm so excited to teach this thing today that I almost forgot. Um, Mission Aviation Fellowship, again, you know, they're, they're an organization that uh, reaches uh, remote parts of the world um, by flying planes there. So there's their website www.maf.org. This, this organization has been our focus this, this week, this month, concerning missions. All right. Also, next Sunday is the first Sunday of the month. It's also the first Sunday of the decade, if you're counting. But because we celebrate, remember, we celebrate the Lord's Supper on the first Sunday of every month. So we will be celebrating the Lord's Supper together next Sunday. Please, please be sure to join us. Also, the following Sunday, we're going to pick up again with our outreach sessions. Really, it's evangelistic sessions. How do I equip myself in order to be able to preach the gospel to the people in my life? I, I may, I may, you may not, most of you are not evangelists, but all of you are called to preach the gospel. And um, we, we, are, we are looking at tools and questions and answers related to that um, subject of outreach. So that's next Sunday. 
Now, before that, on Friday, January 10th, we are going to have a youth group event. Yeah, Dakota um, and, and his wife are sponsoring this. They're putting things together, by the way. If you happen to peek into the youth group room, you'll see that it's been repainted. And if you go into my office, you're going to see a, a ping pong table in a box and screen TV. So he's got big plans. And, you know, that's the Lord asked for. You know, he says, you know, trust me, put this together, and I will bring the kids. So please keep that in prayer. We think that we're going to have a bunch of kids from Deerfield Middle School that will be there for us. And, I, and I, I really am confident that it's going to grow from there. So, again, that's Friday, January 10th. Please keep that in prayer. By the way... Our first priority club, the Christian club that we meet with the kids after school at Deerfield Middle, well, that has tripled in size in two months. Yeah, it's amazing to watch. Yeah. Yeah. That's all the Lord, blessing and gracing us out. All right, let's begin today. And we're going to be in First Corinthians chapter 13, starting in verse 8. First Corinthians 13, starting in verse 8. And we'll go to the end of the chapter. Love never fails. But if there are gifts of prophecy, they will be done away. If there are tongues, they will cease. If there is knowledge, it will be done away. For we know in part, and we prophesy in part. But when the perfect comes, the partial will be done away. When I was a child... I used to speak like a child. I used to think like a child and reason like a child. But when I became a man, I did away with childish things. For now, we see in a mirror dimly, but then face to face. Now I know in part, but then I will know fully. We're going to see the Greek word for that. I will know fully, just as I also have been fully known. But now faith, hope, love. Abide. These three. Faith, hope, love, abide. They abide when the other gifts have gone away. Faith and hope will abide all the way to the rapture. Okay? And love will be around all through eternity. Because, you know, love, of the three of them, faith, hope, and love, love is a characteristic of God. All right? So love will be around forever. Faith is not a characteristic of God. Right? He doesn't have to, he knows all things. He doesn't have to believe anything, right? Hope is not really a character, one of the characteristics and the essence of God either. Because he, he, he does, there aren't things hidden from him that will be revealed someday. There aren't things that he can't see that one day he will see. That's hope. So, he, so the only thing we're gonna, that will pursue, per, per, uh, persevere all through eternity is love. But it's significant that faith and hope will, will be abiding all the way through to the rapture. We'll see that. But the greatest of these is love. By the way, love encapsulates faith and hope. Remember, love believes all things, hopes all things. So it's all encapsulated. Now, I want you to notice in verse 8 that there are three spiritual gifts mentioned. Okay? Prophecy, tongues, and knowledge. In other words, this section of 1 Corinthians, from in chapter 13, verses 8, 8 to 13, is about those three gifts. And those three gifts only. We're going to see about that. And that's, that's, that's critical because when you, under, when you look at what these gifts are and what they have in common, it makes it more and more clear what, and this is what everybody wants to know, in verse 10, the perfect is. So we'll get to that. But these three gifts, prophecy, tongues, and knowledge, they were all revelatory gifts. Big word. What does that mean? They revealed certain new truths that God provided at that time for that audience. So there wasn't everything, he keeps talking about in part and partial, but they reveal certain truths. Prophets at that time reveal certain truths. These are things that, um, that, that the people didn't know yet, but they were never written down, so we don't know what they were either. Okay? That's why it's not perfect, you see. And the same thing with the other gifts. Tongues, very limited revelation. We're going to see tongues is for really a different purpose. And we're going to see that we won't get the answer to when tongues will or have ceased in chapter 13. We're going to have to get that in chapter 14. So stay, stay, stay tuned for that. All right. But again, of course, knowledge also. Now, last time we saw that prophecy and knowledge would be done away and be done away by an outside agent. Because we saw that's in the passive voice. Something done to prophecy and knowledge by an outside agent. Something comes on the scene 
that renders them useless anymore, not needed anymore. Therefore, they're done away. Okay, outside agent. Notice, gifts of prophecy, they will be done away. If there are tongues, they will cease. That's a different word. If there is knowledge, it will be done away. So again, prophecy and knowledge would be done away by an outside agent, and that's important. What is that outside agent? We'll see. The gift of tongues, the other one there, would cease of its own accord. In other words, built into the gift was the fact that it would someday stop. Nothing came on the scene to stop it that would replace it. It just stopped of its own accord. Okay, and that's the middle voice. Middle voice is when somebody takes an action, and that has to do with themselves, usually. All right. Well, when we see that prophecy and knowledge will be done away by an outside agent, tongues would cease of its own accord, the natural question to ask is, when? When has that happened, or will that happen? When would an outside agent do away with the gifts of prophecy and knowledge? Prophecy and knowledge were operating at that time, in the, in the Corinthian church, by the way, you know, tongues, which we're going to see in a minute, and even the gift of, of knowledge, they weren't, we don't see them in any other uh, letter. Okay? We do see prophecy in a bunch, in any event. So the question is, when would that happen? Prophecy and knowledge were in operation at that time, but when would an outside agent do away with those gifts? That's the question. When would the gift of tongues cease of its own accord? When would the tongue stop the activity in which it was engaged? And again, we're not going to get that answer in chapter 13. The gifts of tongues are not in view. This is the last time we'll see tongues in the chapter. They're not in view for what follows in verses 9 to 12. And again, we'll get the answer when we get to chapter 14. For tongues. Because again, tongues is different from prophecy and knowledge. And that's not, tongues isn't mentioned again in chapter 13. All right, so again, the question is when. When is it going to happen? Well, verses 9 through 12 of chapter 13 tell us when the gifts of prophecy and knowledge would be rendered useless. Prophecy, people speaking God's word, okay? To the, it's, it's an, you're in between God and the people by speaking God's word to the people. Now, that's interesting because today we don't have that, right? We don't need an intermediary listening to God and then telling you what God wants you to know. Why don't we have that anymore? Because we have the Bible, right? We can go directly. We can go face-to-face with the Word of God in the Bible. We don't need that, that intermediary, okay? The same thing with the gift of knowledge. Not needed anymore because, again, that was a gift of information that God wanted them to know at that time. But those two would be rendered useless at some point, okay? And verses 9 through 12 of chapter 13 tell us when when the gifts of prophecy and knowledge would be rendered useless. All right. Look at verse 9 now. Okay, verse 9. Whoops. All right, verse 9. For we know, notice, we know. Now, this really important that you understand that Paul's writing this at that time to the Corinthians. So when he says, we know in part, he was talking then at that time. He's saying that he's writing to them. He says, we know in part now, right? We prophecy in part. It's partial. It's not complete. But when the perfect comes, that's, by the way, the whole of which, you know, those were pieces, but then the perfect comes, the partial will be done away. You don't need it anymore. It's like when I go to the dentist and I have bad teeth, so I've had a few crowns. I'll say a few because I don't want to tell you the number. Um... But, you know, you go in there and they drill, they kind of destroy that tooth that you had before. And then they put a temporary, right? Put a temporary on there. But when the perfect crown comes, they throw away the temporary. It's the same thing here. And we'll see what that's all about. The gifts of knowledge and the, gave the saints a piece of the picture. The gift of prophecy gave a piece of the new revelation, but they would both be done away when the perfect came. So, in other words... The gift of knowledge and the gift of prophecy would be done away by the arrival of the perfect. It's interesting that Paul wants us to really understand what he says here. Because he said, I want you to understand the perfect. Now, I'll tell you what, we're going to need to go to the Greek a few times today in order to see what they saw. All right, because the perfect, you know, that's something that we understand in different ways. But we're going to look at what does that Greek word mean? when it says the perfect. And hopefully that will open our eyes to what he's saying here. 
But when did that happen? When did, when did the perfect arrive? Well, if the perfect came in the past, for us now, now we're, we're in 2020. All right? I mean, yeah, 2020. It, from our point of view, if the perfect came in the past, if it's already come, what does that mean? Well, the gifts of knowledge and prophecy were done away back in the past, right? Clearly, they're not operating now because they were done away in the past because the perfect came in the past, okay? You know, Santa Claus is, we're looking, the kids are looking forward to Santa Claus, right? Versus he already came and he gave you a lump of coal, you know? I mean, that, that's kind of the difference there. We're saying, well, I'm either, he's either already came or he's going to come in the future, all right? The perfect already came, or it's going to come in the future. That's the only two things, right? So, so that's the issue. The question is, if, did it come in the past? Maybe. On the other hand, if the perfect hasn't come yet, if whatever that is hasn't come yet, well, that means the gifts of knowledge and prophecy are still in operation. Does that make sense to everybody? I want to make sure that, because we want to be very specific here. So, that brings us to the central question today, and that's this. Who or what is the perfect? And people have a lot of ideas about this. Okay? It's interesting. Whenever something isn't obvious in the English, people will run with it and come up with their own theories here, there, and everywhere. All right? But there is an answer, and it's right here in chapter 13. We're going to see it. Who or what is the perfect? Well, many teach that it's our Lord Jesus Christ coming back. Many teach that, that the perfect is our Lord Jesus Christ when he comes back. Others teach that it's the coming kingdom. Others teach that it's the saints in heaven. Well, I want you to notice that all of those things are in the future, right? So that if you think it's one of those, that means you think the perfect is in the future, and you think the gifts of knowledge and prophecy are still in operation, because those are all future, okay? Now, there's another possibility, all right? And that is that God's complete revelation has already been provided for the church. And that's the perfect. The complete revelation that God has provided for the church, the body of Christ. All right. So what is this? How are we going to figure this out? By the way, I just want to kind of complete this thinking. If that's true, since that would mean, in other words, the completed um, mystery teachings for the church. If that had already been completed and came in the past, that would mean that the gifts of prophecy and knowledge are no longer in operation. So it's critical to identify the perfect. Everything else kind of flows from that. <clears throat> so I want to just take some time with this. Remember, I mentioned that this is going to be like Bible class, I mean, Bible study on Thursday evenings. Those of you who <clears throat> have been there, particularly back away when we talked about how to study the Bible, <clears throat> There are tools that will help us understand to decide which definition of the perfect is correct. Now, there are bottom-up tools. What does that mean? It means you go to the Greek and you build up from it, you know, from what a word means to what a sentence means and so forth. Okay, use Greek. That's bottom-up. Top-down, the most important thing, most important tool is what I call the neighborhood. In other words, the context. What other things are said around what you're trying to understand. Okay, so that's how we're going to approach this today. Um, by the way, if anybody needs a Bible, just raise your hand because we want to make sure everybody has the Word of God in front of you today. If anybody, James. By the way, this is James, everybody, if you haven't met him yet. Yeah, that's right. Good man. All right, so again, we're going to use two kinds of tools. One, two tools, really. We're going to look at Greek today, and we're going to look at the context, the neighborhood, for this word, the perfect. All right. So we have a, there's going to be some work today. And you might be sitting there right now, hey, wait a minute. Why should I even care about this? You're going to go, I'm going to have to go through all this work. I'm going to have to concentrate for the next half hour or so. Why bother? Well, that's the, here's why. Someday, if it hasn't already happened to you, you're going to be in a vulnerable place. You're going to have gone through something. It's kind of, a lot of people, you know, when they suffer a lot, they question God and they question all that kind of thing. And that you might be there. And then you know what? When you're there, someone might approach you and tell you that they have a biblical gift of knowledge or a biblical gift of prophecy and they have a word from God for you. All right? That's how it works. That's how they usually get you. God told me something about you. I have knowledge that God said I want to give to you. 
right? There are tons of people doing this today, all right? Icefirst ran into it with what they call Catholic charismatic, all right? When people, again, thought that the gifts that were in 1 Corinthians 13 were still in operation, and they would pray over you, and they would say, I, I think that you have the demon of whatever, right? And it would scare you if you really believed it. Really? You know? Uh, God has told me that you have to break up your marriage because that's destroying your spiritual life. I mean, this is the kind of thing that people do when they think they have the gift of prophecy and when they, when they think you have the, under, think the gift of prophecy still operates. So that's why. It's worth a class to understand that these either are or are not in operation. But when you're vulnerable and you hear something like that, trust me, You'll be very tempted to put stock in that, what they have to say. You're desperate. Somebody comes on the scene and wants to give you certainty, you know? It's like the people, honestly, it's kind of the same thing as people that want their horoscope or their palm read or whatever because they want to know what's going to happen, right? So the, the human nature is vulnerable to that. So we really have to be solid in what gifts are operating, what gifts aren't, so we don't. Because if you're not solid on this question of when these gifts stopped operating you'll probably follow them right down that rabbit trail. You know, you'll be right there with them. And that's a tough thing to be. Because it'll mess you up. All right, so that's why we're going to spend some time today. 1 Corinthians 13, 10. Here's our word. But when the perfect comes, the partial will be done away. I want you to say right here, you see, the partial will be done away because the perfect will replace it. All right, the perfect will be better. It's kind of like in the book Hebrews. Right? They had animal sacrifices, right? And that was okay, but it wouldn't, it wouldn't really forgive any sins. It was just covering them. But when the perfect sacrifice of Jesus Christ on the cross came, the animal sacrifices were done away. All right? Same thing here. All right? There's a subject here. There's a piece of it in the gifts, but then there's the whole picture when the perfect comes. Now, let's look at the Greek word for that. The Greek word is teleos, teleos. Okay. You don't have to know all this, but I want you to, well, maybe this is one that you should know. Any of you that has a, um, a Greek text or a Greek-English uh, lexicon or those kind of things? In any event, the word is teleos. <clears throat> what does it mean? Here's what it means. Right? Again, in the context of saying, when this comes, the partial, the gifts of tongues of, of prophecy and knowledge will be done away. So what does this word mean? Here's what it means. Complete. When the complete comes, the partial pieces will be done away. It means finished. Everything that's needed to be put in place is finished. And therefore, when that comes, the partial, the gifts of of prophecy and knowledge, will be done away. It means lacking in nothing necessary for completeness. Okay, They did. When they had the partial, there were things lacking. It wasn't the complete. You know, I mean, I want you to imagine for a moment that we were in a place in time... When the, all the information we had was based on, this is a great, but based on the book of Romans. That was it. That's what we had. Now, trust me, that's all you need to understand who you are as a Christian. But God has so much more he wants to reveal. And if that's all you had, you wouldn't have the complete package. Then we would be lacking something necessary for to have the complete package, which is, of course, the other books of the New Testament. It also means this. It means having reached its end. In other words, it's reached where it needed to go. It's all there. Okay. Also means this, that which is mature, perfect, full. We'll see, we already read it, that Paul says, when I was a child, I used to speak and think and reason like a child. I was immature. Okay. But now I'm a man, I'm putting away those things. So there's, a, there's something about immaturity, all right, and then there's something about maturity. But you can see if you're immature, you're immature about something. And then you're mature about that something. In other words, it's the same something, but then there's a piece of it, and then there's all of it. It means full. The full package. The fullness. By the way, the book of Ephesians, which is amazing, the mysteries revealed about the body of Christ, is full of fullness, if I could put it that way. All right. So in any event, the complete in contrast to the partial. So I hope you're getting... A sense, the gist of what this word means. Now, here's something else. All right, the Greek language has genders in it. 
Okay, it's masculine, feminine, and neuter. All right, masculine, feminine, and neuter. And I'll tell you something. When this word "perfect" refers to a person, it's in the masculine. Here, it's in the neuter. Just think, you want to think about that. All right. So this can't be talking about a person. It has to be talking about a thing. All right. All right, so that's important, all right? So it's in a neuter gender. It's not masculine, it's not feminine, it's a neuter, all right? In that day and age, they didn't have people wondering about their sexuality. Believe me, today someone's going to pick, pick that up and run with it and say, you know, it's transvestite, whatever. No, all right? The Greek language had men and women. Neuter meant something completely different. It didn't have to do with gender. I mean, it is called the gender in the Greek, but here's what it is. It's re- not used for people. People, masculine, feminine. Neuter is used for things. So whatever the perfect is, is not a person, it's a thing. Okay. So, we saw one of, the, one of the theories that people have about the perfect is that it's the Lord Jesus Christ coming back. Right? Is the Lord Jesus Christ a thing? It's a person. He's a person. So the teleos cannot be talking about the Lord Jesus Christ. Okay? Because he's a person. It, by the way, it's really precise. If you go and look at this word and you see where it's used, it's, it's clear. Like in James, it's used twice in, in chapter 1, verse 4. And the first time, it's talking about a thing. And it's in the neuter, in the same verse. And then the second time, the same word, but it's in the masculine, talking about people. It's crystal clear when you look at the Greek that this is not a person, this is a thing. By the way, that would also be true about the saints in heaven, wouldn't it? If this perfect is the saints in heaven, right, then this would have to be the masculine, people, right? If it's in the neuter, it can't be talking about the saints in heaven. So, in other words, to kind of wrap this up, the perfect, whatever it is, is in verse 10, not a person, it's a thing. Okay, that's the Greek word for the perfect. Now, the next thing we want to do is the context, checking out the neighborhood. All right, here's something that we need to understand. If you were to read through, and, and, and I'd like you to do this, actually, read through chapters 12, 13, and 14. Now, why am I picking those chapters? Because that's the neighborhood, right? The neighborhood is chapters 12 before it, chapter 14 after it. So if you read those three chapters, you will not find a thing about the end times. Nothing about what the fancy word is eschatology. There's nothing in those three chapters about that. Those three chapters, we already know, what are those three chapters about? Right. That's the context. Spiritual gifts, not the end times. Okay? So put that in and think about, okay, what does that mean? Well, it means that it's very unlikely, very unlikely that the perfect is an end times event. Because the context says otherwise. All right? So it's not the coming of the kingdom. I believe very unlikely that it's that. For two reasons, by the way. One is he's writing to the church and the kingdom is for Israel. But the other one is, is that's an end times event, and this is about spiritual gifts. So I just want to see, that's when you look at the neighborhood, you really can pick up on things. All right, when the perfect comes, the partial will be done away. Now again, we have to put ourselves where Paul was and where the Corinthians were in the first century. So in, in terms of that, for them, there's a now and a future. There's something now, when Paul wrote this letter, and something in the future relative to them. All right? So when that which is future arrives, what happens? That which is now is done away. In other words, the now is the partial they had when Paul wrote the letter. In the future is the perfect coming. All right? Now and in the future. When the future arrives, that which is now will be done away. I want to mention something again. Will be done away. We've already seen this same Greek word. We read it today in chapter 8. I mean chapter 8, verse 8, when we talked about when the, when the prophecy will, will go, be, be done away, knowledge will be done away, and here the partial will be done away. What does that tell us? Well, it says, is, it says to us that the gift of prophecy and knowledge are the partial. The gifts of prophecy and knowledge are the partial in verse 10. They, they said they'd be done away in verse 8. And it says the partial in verse 10 will be done away. That means that the partial refers to those gifts of of, of prophecy 
and of knowledge. Okay. If there are gifts of prophecy, they will be done away. In verse 8, if there are tongues, they will cease. If there's knowledge, it will be done away. Now, verse 9 confirms this for us. If you look at verse 9, it says, We know in part, and we prophesy in part. Okay? When the perfect comes, the partial will be done away. So here you see it clearly. The partial here is knowing in part, prophesying in part. Those are the gifts that we're talking about here. All right, and just, just to make this crystal clear, when that which is perfect, whatever it is, come. Now I say whatever, not whoever, because we've already established it's not a person, it's a thing. Well, whatever that is, when it comes, that which is in part, the gifts of knowledge and prophesying, will be done away. Okay, now we're getting somewhere. We're, we're kind of closing in a little bit on what this perfect is. Gifts of prophecy and knowledge gave a portion of something, but not the whole something. The question then is, what was the something? Remember, it's, it's whatever the gifts of prophecy and knowledge were, they were part of the something. Whatever the perfect is, is the complete something. All right? Just so we're working towards something here. They prophesied and provided knowledge out of the portion that they received. Excuse me. <clears throat> now, I want you to think about that. Okay? In other words, the prophets were given a portion. We talk about that sometimes, about your portion. Well, it was true. The prophets were given a portion of the new revelation for that time for those people. Same thing with the gift of knowledge. The gifts revealed part of the word of God that's for the church. God gave them a portion, not the whole thing. The Lord had new information to give to the church, and boy, did he. If you look at the letters of, of, of Paul, you will see incredible new revelation, right? That, that, we, that Christ died for our sins and rose again, and that we simply believe we're justified by faith. That was something that wasn't revealed. I mean, it was revealed to Abraham, but if you look at the, the law, it wasn't revealed there. And much more new information. Ultimately, in Ephesians and Colossians, amazing, right? We are the fullness of Christ in this world. We are the full... So that was... By the way, that's full knowledge, right? Fullness of Christ in this world revealed amazing new information. Well, but, you see, when he was writing, okay, they had the portion of it. Okay, it consisted of mysteries. And this is the whole package now. Things that were formerly hidden but now brought to light. God wanted the church to know these things. Mysteries that formerly were hidden, Old Testament and the Gospels, now brought to light in the, in the writings of Paul. Okay. So what's the whole something? It's this. It's the complete revelation for the church. Prophecy and knowledge had a portion of the, of the new revelation for the church. But there's something that will reveal the complete revelation to the church. You see, that's the perfect. Relative to the Corinthian church in the first century, that's in the future for them. The complete set of new revelations was coming. All right, let's see now. That's verse 10. We got, we got a lot out of that. In fact, we've got a, we've got a, a, a proposal, if you put it that way, for what the, what the perfect is, the complete revelation for the church. But let's see if that fits in verses 11 through 13. When I was a child, I used to speak like a child. I used to think like a child. I used to reason like a child. When I became a man, I did away with childish things. Can you see a a time? There was one time and then a future time relative to the child. That's the same thing we saw already, right? When the perfect comes, that's something... From then, in the future, the partial, what they had then, will be done away. So that fits, okay? Look at verse 12. For now, there's the now, okay? Now we see in a mirror dimly. But then, whatever then is, face to face. Now, now I know in part. But then I will know fully, just as I have been fully known. But now faith, hope, love, abide these three, but the greatest of these is love. You see, if you look, if you look back to verse 8, and then we've already been there today, and if you look at from verses 8 to verse 12, Paul says the same thing four different ways. 
That's all this is. It's the same thing, but he says it four different ways. He uses, by the way, two analogies. Okay? The child and the man is an analogy. Uh, he's, not, he's not, a lot of people want to say he's talking about the Corinthians. He's not. He's saying, here's an analogy. The difference between childhood and maturity right, is, an, is an, uh, analogous to the partial and the complete. Okay? Same thing, by the way, with a mirror. We see in a mirror dimly. Do you think Paul is telling everybody, hey, go look in the mirror? You think, you know, is that what he's talking about? People actually looking in the mirror. I don't, you know, I see a little bit of what's behind me, but, you know, I don't see the whole thing. I'm waiting for the perfect to come, and then I'll be able to see that person behind me. Is that what he's saying here? No, it's an analogy. He's saying this has something in common with the main point, which is when the perfect comes, the posture will be done away. Okay. Then one more. Then, now he gets right at it. Then I will know fully. This is not an analogy. This is literal. I will know fully. Then, whatever then is, when the perfect comes, just as I also have been fully known. But now faith, hope, love, abide these three. But the greatest of these is love. Paul provides four different contrasts between one thing and another. Something at one time. All right? We'll call it the current time, but it's the current time for the people. Whoever those people are, right? So that, so that the first century, we're not in the first century. But for them, that was the current, okay? Versus something at some future time, okay? All four of these are really saying the same thing four different ways. Now, Jack was kind enough to pass out a table this morning. Everybody get one of these? If not, I want to make sure you do. Everybody, everybody? Everybody got one. Okay, great. Jack is good. All right. So, by the way, those who are watching us now or in the future on the web, um, you can find this diagram, this table really, at our homepage at www.lbible.org. It'll be right there. It'll be the top thing on the left-hand side. will be this handout today. I want to make sure that folks that are are on the Internet watching us today um, also can see this. It's really mapping out what we just read, but I want to make it crystal clear what we have here. All right? So, this is the table. Notice that we have verses 8 to 10, 11, 12a, and 12b. All right? Verses 8 to 10 say, knowing in part and prophesying in part, that was the current time, and then the future for them was the perfect coming, doing away with the partial. Verse 11, the current was a child. How the current speaks, thinks, and reasons. And now, if you were, if you were to speak to a child... All right, they'd be saying some interesting things that you know, an adult wouldn't say. They think very differently from an adult, okay, and so forth. That's the current for the child. Then you have the future. What's the future? A man putting childish things away. He's saying the same thing four different ways. The current time, the future time. Currently, here's the other analogy. You're seeing something, it's as if you were seeing something in a mirror, dimly. Future time, you're going to see that same something, but face-to-face, clearly. Okay. The fourth one, knowing in part. Right, that was them, then, then. Whoa, them, then. Right? <laughs> knowing in part. Okay? That was them back then. The future is knowing fully. Okay. The basic contrast here is from lacking something to lacking nothing. In other words... Lacking the complete thing related to not knowing and prophesying. That was part, not the whole thing. That lacked something. All right, Then it lacked nothing, the perfect. A child, the way he speaks, thinks, and reasons really lacks some things relative to an adult. They have to learn a lot more all right, as they grow from being a child to being an adult. Where they put the childish things away. Lacking something to lacking nothing. If you ever looked at a dim mirror... I don't know, there are some mirrors that are still around today. And for whatever reason, there's like the black behind it is kind of seeped through. I don't know what that means technically, but it seeps through. You know, it's kind of like gray and foggy and stuff. You know, you can't really see clearly. Well, you can see something, right? But you can't see it clearly. And that's what he's talking about. All right, he calls it face to face. But again, you, this is an analogy. He's not saying that there's, there's something that's in a mirror right now. And I'm seeing it, but not too well, because these mirrors are, you know, they're not great. But then when I turn around, hey, 
John, where have you been? That's not what he's saying. It's an analogy, okay? Seeing something in a mirror, seeing something face to face, clearly. And then knowing in part and knowing fully. That's clearly lacking something to lacking nothing. The partial spiritual gifts of knowledge and prophecy contrasted with the perfect, the complete revelation to the church. All right. Now, we've seen that. That's our theory. Basic contrast, again, is from lacking something to lacking nothing. The partial, which we've already established, are the gifts of prophecy and knowledge, lack something. But there would be a time when the perfect came, and then nothing would be lacking from that. It's a thing. Okay. And each time, remember, he's contrasting the partial. I'm repeating because I want you to... Get, get really grounded in this so that you're not thrown off sometime in the future where somebody comes to you and says, hey, I think the gift of prophesying is still around. We have prophets in our, in our congregation. And man, they'll tell you all about yourself. Why don't you come? Right? If you're not solid on this, that's going to sound pretty attractive. All right, or it might. Okay, again, he is contrasting partial spiritual gifts of knowledge and prophecy with the perfect, the complete revelation to the church. The gifts of knowledge and prophecy were the childhood stage of something that would later be the mature stage. Again, we're positing that that's the complete set of Paul's writings. The prophets enabled the people back then to see fragments of truth indirectly, like a mirror, right? That's cloudy. You can see part of it, but you can't see it clearly. And it's indirect. The mirror is indirect, right? The writings of Paul would enable them to see Not the fragments of truth, but the whole truth. And see it directly and clearly. When I was a child, I used to speak like a child. Think like a child. Reason like a child. When I became a man, I did away with childish things. For now we see, it's as if we were looking at something in a mirror. Dim. Then it's like we're looking at something face to face. Clear. Complete. Now I know in part, but then I will know fully. Just as I have been fully known. Now here we go, verse 13. Now faith, hope, love, abide these three, but the greatest of these is love. You know, a lot of people want to just take that, they like that. I like that. Faith, hope, and love, and the greatest of these is love. And it is fantastic, don't get me wrong. You can meditate on that. You can get so much in the New Testament that's talking about these three things. They're found together several times in the different epistles. However, you always have to look at the neighborhood. He's saying this to round out what he's been saying before. Okay. In other words, we know the gifts of knowledge and prophecy will be done away. But after they're done away, faith, hope, and love are still with us. Does that make sense? So it fits what he's talking about. So we're going to look at that. Faith, hope, love, remain, abide, after the partial Those gifts of knowledge and prophecy have been done away. That tells us something important about the timing. Here's how we build this now. What's faith? Hebrews 11.1 is the King James. I like it better. Now, faith is the substance of things hoped for. The evidence of things not seen. Right? Okay. So that means that if if faith is abiding now, it means there are still things that we're hoping for. That makes sense? Still things that we haven't seen yet. All right. What is hope? Again, we're going to be biblical about this. Please turn to Romans chapter 8. We're going to find out what hope is. Romans 8, 24. Hope. Faith. Evidence of things not seen. The substance of things hoped for. Okay. What's hope? It's interesting that the definition of faith here in Hebrews 11.1 1 talks about hope. There's a progression there. Faith, hope, and love. Okay. Verse 24 of chapter 8 of Romans. For in hope we've been saved. When we were saved, we were given a great hope. But hope that is seen is not really hope. Right? If you're if right now, you're saying, man, I hope I can get there to see John preach today. I hope I can. 
But, but wait a minute, I see you now, you're here, There's no, you don't need to hope that anymore. Right? It's, it's here, you see it. We don't, if you see something, you're not hoping for it. If you, are, if, if you are hoping for a new car for Christmas, which drives me crazy, you know that, I say that too often, but it's true, right? And then you, Christmas morning, you look out the blinds and you see a big red bow, and then there's like a Ferrari or whatever. And now, are you, when you go out there and you see it, are you going to say, you know, I really hope I get a car? Of course not. You see it. It's right there in the driveway. <laughs> yeah, right. So hope that it sees, not hope. Who hopes for what he already sees? It's obvious. But if we, the church, hope for what we do not see, with perseverance we wait eagerly for it. Well, what's the church waiting eagerly for? Good, the rapture of Jesus Christ, right? That we're still hoping. That's still something that we haven't seen yet. We're hoping for it. We're hoping for the rapture. And as long as the rapture hasn't come yet, we believe it by faith and we hope because of the promise of God's word. However, when the rapture comes, do we need to hope anymore? Do we need to have faith anymore? No. Well, no. I mean, because you don't have to have faith because you see the rapture is happening. You're going up to heaven. Okay? My point is, is that faith and hope abide for us until the rapture. Love abides forever. Okay. In other words, when we're in heaven, we don't have, we don't have to hope about understanding who we are. Okay? Because we'll see it. The Bible in 1 John says, you know, you'll be like him when you see him. It'll all be clear. You don't have to believe what the Word of God says anymore because you will be that. Okay. But God is love, and that's the one essence of God that's mentioned here. Okay? And that's, that means it's different. It'll, it'll abide forever. Point, after the rapture, we will not need faith or hope any longer. And yet we just saw that they're still around and they're going to remain for with us after the spiritual gifts of knowledge, tongues, and prophecy no longer function. All right, if you see that, if you think on a time you know, line, right, you have knowledge, and I'm going to do it this way, knowledge, prophecy, tongues. We'll see why that is, all right? There's an end point for those. At that end point, and continuing, is faith, hope, and love. Okay? So, they remain after the spiritual gifts of knowledge, tongues, and prophecy no longer function. Now, do we need faith right now? Mm-hmm. Do we need hope right now? Yeah, they're still functioning, right? And yet, this says that these gifts won't be functioning at some point. But faith, in other words, the to- gifts of tongues and knowledge and prophecy will stop sometime during the church age. They won't continue all the way through to the rapture. That's important. These gifts must stop functioning before the rapture. Okay, the gifts of faith, of of knowledge and prophecy, done away when the perfect comes. The complete revelation for the church. Verse 12, now I see in a mirror dimly, but then face to face. Now I know in part, but then I will know fully, just as I am fully known. Okay, there was only so much that the Lord could give the prophets and those with the gift of knowledge to reveal things through those temporary gifts. There's only so much. They were inferior to something else, to the complete, the perfect. They were lacking things that the perfect doesn't lack. One thing about them, they were spoken. But the complete revelation that we have today is... Is it just spoken? Do I have to come here today and you don't have this book in front of you and I have to just tell you a little more? Hey, I'm going to tell you about what's in 1 Corinthians. You won't actually see it in the, in the Bible. No, it's written down. See, that's so important. People, people need to understand that it's so critical to understand that God wrote his word, which was the complete package that he wanted human beings and the church to understand. It's written down. Right? Why? So what's, something's written down. You can check it again and again. And again, it won't change. It's always the same. That's perfect relative to prophecy, which you heard. You might understand some of it, but then that's it. Uh, In three weeks, what did he say? I can't, I don't, but so written is superior to spoken. You have to hear it, but it's written down too. So the final revelation 
of the mysteries hidden before and now revealed to the church, they would come by means of Paul's writings. Writings. Not his preaching, but his writings, you see. Things that were said in the first century, if they weren't written down, we don't know them, do we? People want to know, what, was, what were the prophets saying back then? And my answer is, we have no idea. Why? Because they weren't written down. All right? We can think about them in categories, but we don't know the particulars. So God said, that's what they needed. Let's get things started. But there will be a time when the perfect version will come, all the mysteries will be revealed, and it will all be written down. That's Paul's writings. Okay. Now I know in part. Now here we go. Ooh, it's 11. I'm going to wake up. In fact, if you want, you can stand up right now. Why don't everybody stand up? Come on. Just stand up. Everybody just stand Come on, everybody. Hey, who can? I know a couple of you guys, are. Uh, your medical situations don't allow you to, but everybody else. All right, I just want you to kind of just get relaxed, okay? Just get relaxed. Whatever it is that you do with your body, okay? Uh, not with it, no. No, that's too general. All right, now, now sit down again. The reason I did that was because we're going to now have to jump back into Bible study. Greek, right? So I want to give you a break before we do that as we end today. Okay. But Greek is fun. It is, once you know it, you know. And, some, and the, interesting, you know, the interesting thing about any language, but Greek, is that when you hear a word... That's not what you hear all the time. It'll stand out. You'll remember it, right? Like the Gnosko, you know? I mean, that, that could be a buddy I, I grew up with, you know, a Polish guy or an Italian guy. But, you know, it's not English. All right? Gnosko stands out, okay? What does it mean? It means to acquire or possess information about something. So the prophets and the gift of knowledge, they allowed them to possess some information about something. That's what that word means. Gnosko. I know in part. All right, I'll give you a second to write that down. Now, here's the interesting thing. In that same verse, in verse 12, when it says, I, then I will know fully. All right, what do you think the Greek word is for know in that one? Trick question. It's a different word. I know you'd think it would be the same. It's not. It's epigonosco. That's so important. In other words, there's a certain amount of knowledge here, now, but then there's whatever epigonosco means, and it's going to mean the full part. The word fully is in the word. There's no two words here. It's one word. Epigonosco. Here's what it means. Now there's more information that's going to come out. Newly acquired Gnosko, you had some there. Newly acquired information, Paul's writings, all right? And then it's identified with what had been previously learned or known. It built, in other words, the Bible, in the epistles of Paul, especially if you put them in chronological order, by the way, they build one on the other, right? The foundation is the book of Romans, and then things get built on top of it. That's how it's written, all right? I look like my dog right now. But then at the top is like the crown, the, the, the final revelation, right, that's the most glorious of all. That's how, the, that's how the New Testament epistles of Paul are built. And you have to see it in chronological order in order to get this. In any event, that's the newly acquired information. All right? Uh, here's a, I won't leave you in suspense. All right? There were some books of the Bible. I mean, that, that's not right. There was some information from the prophets and the knowledge, okay, information. Then there was more the complete writings of Paul. That was newly acquired, built on top of what was previously known. And you recognize, you see clearly when this has been revealed. All right, hang with me a little more. Because I want you to, I'm building up to something really cool, and it's gonna, we're going to end with this today. Well, gnosko and epigonosko are verbs. Right? I know, I know fully, you see, the verbs. Well, it turns out that they have corresponding nouns. It talks about the information itself. All right? Not, so here it is. Gnosis and epinosis. Those you may be more familiar with. 
There's gnosis information and there's epinosis information. All right. Well, that's pretty cool, right? You can see how a verb becomes a noun and so forth. But here's what's really cool. Remember, I just mentioned this. If you put Paul's letters in chronological order, all right, so in other words, Galatians was written, then, you know, chronologically, I believe it's 1st and 2nd Thessalonians, okay? And then you go on, 1st and 2nd Corinthians, Romans. If you put them in that order, and then you continue, of course, then there are four, there are six, okay, that I mentioned. There are four other uh, letters that are written to churches, all right? And that would be Ephesians, Philippians, Colossians, and Philemon, okay? Then there are three that are written to pastors, Titus, 1st and 2nd Timothy. Okay. But here's what's really cool. When you do that, all right, and you find out, you know, Book of Acts is a history book, right? And, and because of that, there's clear markings of when, what, when things happened. And so if you put these in chronological order, the last, now concentrate, the last letter that was written during the time period covered by Acts, all right, from Pentecost to when Paul's in prison in Rome, there, the book of Romans was the last one that was written during the time period covered by the book of Acts. All right? It's like you have a history book, and you say, well, this is, you know, in public schools today, unfortunately, a lot of the history books are old. Some were written in the 70s, you know? So you would look at that, one of those old history books, and they had a list of presidents, they would probably stop with Cotter, something like that. But, of course, we know things continued after the time period covered by that book. Right? We're talking about the book of Acts. There's more. All right? So, in other words, the first six books were written during the time period covered by the book of Acts. Okay. You know, again, those, those books, again, it's um, Romans, Galatians, 1st and 2nd Thessalonians, 1st and 2nd Corinthians, six of them. And then the book of Acts ends with Paul in Rome, but there's more, to, he wrote, there's more for him to write. Okay? The remaining seven letters, more to write. Four prison epistles. Okay? Again, the prison epistles, you can map it this way, are Ephesians, Philippians, Colossians, and Philemon. They were written after the time period covered by the book of Acts. Acts ends, these were written after. This is a marking. The, book of, the end of the book of Romans is a mark separating the first six from the last seven, and then three pastoral epistles, again, Titus and First and Second Timothy. On the other side of the last time, the book covered by the book of Acts. All right. Now, here's where it gets really, really cool. The noun epinosis does not show up until the book of Romans. Think about that. Romans was the last book written during the time period of Acts. Then on the scene for the first time is this epinosis, this known fully. Okay? But then there's other books written after that. And here's what's really, 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 really cool. The epinosis appears in every book that was written after the time period of Acts. Every one. In other words, you could say that what Paul was revealing, that hadn't been revealed in the time period of Acts was the fullness of the information that Paul, that God wanted to reveal to the church. Isn't that cool? Well, I think it is. You know, you may not, but... Yeah, every letter after, it's chronological now, written after the time period of the book of Acts is the epinosis word. That means Ephesians. Boy, it's all over Ephesians. True knowledge, full knowledge. Philippians, Colossians, Philemon, Titus, and First and Second Timothy. Epinosis. Every one of those books. The last seven. Before that, only a little bit in the book of Romans. Introducing. That happens a lot in the Bible. Jesus introduced things, by the way, in the Gospel of John, that would later be fully described by Paul in his letters. Same thing here. All right. So in these seven epistles, Paul completes his teachings by revealing the mysteries concerning Christ and his church. The mysteries, Christ and his body, the church. Christ is the head. The church is his body. The fullness of him in the world. So in other words, when all that's been revealed, then the saints can know fully, just as they are fully known. 
then it's not as if they're looking in a mirror, they're seeing it directly, face to face. Okay. Now don't get me wrong, we learn a lot of wonderful things from those letters that were written during Acts. Romans, Galatians, 1 and 2 Corinthians, 1 and 2 Thessalonians. But it's not the whole picture. Again, imagine if that's what we had, and we didn't have Ephesians, Colossians. Women are saying, oh, that would be great. Then I wouldn't have to submit to my husband. You know, because that's in Ephesians and Colossians. But really, though, I mean, the amazing things, you know, that, that oh, the deity of Christ, the way it's explained in the book of Colossians, is unlike any other place, who Christ is in his fullness. Yes, you knew some things about Christ. You know why he died on the cross. You'll get that from those first six books. But you won't understand and, or be given the information that Jesus Christ is the creator of all things. Oh, by the way, that we're in him and he's in us. That's not revealed until these books. So the final information that Lord wanted us to know was in the last seven books chronologically. It isn't until Paul finishes his la- writing his last seven epistles that we can know fully. All of it. Not part, but the whole. The complete. All right. This is, but here's the thing. That information, the church can know fully, have full knowledge about in this life. Make sense? A lot of people want to say it's talking about being in heaven. No, it's saying that you can know fully now because of what's been revealed in all of the, all of the books of Paul, but especially in the last seven. By the time Paul finished 2 Timothy, his last letter, the temporary gifts of knowledge and prophecy were done away. When was that? It occurred sometime between the end of Acts, because we know these were written after the end of Acts, and the death of Paul. I mean, this is rather obvious. Right? He can't write any more books after he dies. He wrote some books after the end of the period of Acts. So it's sometime between... So if you people want to ask you, hey, when did the gift of prophecy end? You can say, oh, it's between 60 and 65 AD. When did the gift of knowledge end? It's between 60 and 65 AD. When did the gift of tongues end? Stay tuned. It will be in chapter 14. All right, let's close in prayer. Heavenly Father, we thank you that these things are revealed and that if we do a little work, we see in clarity what you're saying, what what the perfect is, when the partial were done away. Father, help us to have those things written down in our hearts and in our notebooks so they were crystal clear. So that we don't have to tell people, you know, you have to take my word for it. Or, you know, I, I read it in this book, not the Bible, but I can show you in the Bible. That's what we're trying to get. Help us all to get there. Father, we also today want to also, again, one more time, make sure that we understand and know that what the gospel is to communicate, that your son, the God-man, born of a virgin, remaining deity forever that he went to the cross and died for our sins, was buried on the third day you raised him from the dead. Whoever believes in Christ, his death and resurrection will never perish but have eternal life. And Father, finally, we do once again want to pray for the church, all the church, the whole body, and, and all of the things that the church is going through right now, individually and corporately as a body. We just pray, Father, that we would be sensitive, that we would discern the body correctly. We understand we're members one of another, and that includes Christians in Pakistan or in Nigeria or in China. Wherever they are, we're part of them, and they're part of us. We ask this in the name of Jesus Christ, our Lord, by the power of the Spirit. Amen. All right, just a couple of things. Remember, again, Thursday, Bible study's back on. All right, we meet at 7 o'clock on Thursday evenings. All right, if you can make it, please be there. It's part of the teaching ministry. It's not as if, well, all I need to get is Sunday. And that over there, that's for those eggheads that like to study the Bible. You know? No, this is important. This is on a par with what's here on Sunday. It goes in more depth often. All right? Not today. We went in a lot of depth today, but often it goes into more depth that we, that we can cover because we slow down and we just look at one little piece at a time. All right. And again, next Sunday's Lord's Supper. Sunday after that. We're going to have our outreach session again. Please keep the youth group event in prayer. Friday, January 10th. All right, speaking of prayer, I mention this every time. I'm going to keep mentioning it because, like, 
hardly anybody is actually telling us what, what you want us to pray for. All right? It's a little frustrating because we want to know. Prayer is powerful. Prayer changes things. Prayer knits us together. Prayer gets us closer to the Lord. You know, the Lord does. He says, when, you, when, when you're asking for something for a member, member of the body, the Lord's paying attention to that. Not saying he'll answer it right away. But my gosh, the people that are there all the time, you know how many times what we prayed for eventually was answered. Right? Right. So give us your prayer requests. You can put them, there's a box in the back. You can go on our website, and right there on the first page, you can click on, give us your prayer requests. Do it. It's important. All right, let's close in prayer. Heavenly Father, we thank you again for all that we have learned today. Now we ask as we go out, that we would apply these things, that we'd be sensitive to the needs of others, that we would see by the Spirit's discernment opportunities to let people know about the death and resurrection of your Son and that it's faith alone and eternal life is given to all who simply believe in Jesus Christ. We ask this in his name, by the power of the Spirit. Amen. If any questions about today's message or anything else about things in the Bible, I always sit there patiently, all right, for a while. Sometimes, you know, I get 18 questions from the same person, and I'm like, you know, there's three people standing over there, you know. But anyway, any questions you got, I'm here. All right, you're dismissed. Have a great day.